Welcome to the Oak Tree Institute podcast, the podcast designed to serve nonprofit and community leaders. In this episode of the Oak Tree Institute podcast, we welcome Maria Banji. She is the executive director of Harness, an organization that works within Hollywood to center narratives of marginalized communities in popular culture. She's also the founder of Scylla Consulting and works with nonprofit organizations on their leadership and management. She's been the voice of the Muslim American community across many national media platforms, including the New York Times and NPR. She graduated with a master's in public administration from the University of Southern California with a specialization in nonprofit management and public policy. In this episode, we'll be talking to her about her most important insights for community leaders and how to build nonprofit institutions to be successful and thriving. So I right, everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Oak Tree Institute podcast. Uh, we're very honored and excited to have an amazing leadership expert, uh, a consultant and executive director with us today, uh, Maria Banji. Uh, Maria, salam alaikum. Alaikum It's nice to be here with you all. Thank you so much for joining us. I, I know it's a crazy time uh, in the world. It's a crazy time for you. I know definitely in the consulting space, uh, being an executive director of a nonprofit in the consulting space, I know it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a difficult time, but really appreciate you being on, on board with us. Can, can you speak to us a little bit about uh, your role? So you're currently the executive director of Harness. Uh, you've started your own consulting firm called Scylla. Uh, let us know a little bit about some of the work. What are you doing now and your work currently? Yeah, so I, um, I basically have two organizations. Um, I'm the executive director of a nonprofit called Harness, um, which was started by um, some folks from Hollywood. Um, we, we were connected um, at the end of 2016 after the presidential election. And um, there was just a lot of interest in Hollywood at that time, like right now around um, justice and really figuring out how it is that artists and um, the industry can support, you know, causes that um, they really care about, which is justice and equity for everybody. And so I was connected with America Ferreira, who's an actress who wanted to figure out how to bring her community together. And so um, I helped her kind of start her first, do some, do some work. And then eventually it was just very, very, popular and very widely accepted. And so we ended up um, starting a nonprofit. And then I became the executive director about two years ago. So that's, that is the work I do. We bring artists and activists together for social justice. You know, I have a whole team of 15 people. We do a lot of work. <laughs> it's like a, running a nonprofit is like no joke. Um, so that's one side of things. And then um, it, back in 2016, um, before I had met America, um, I had started my own consulting practice. Um, I come to this work uh, with a, a very long history working in nonprofit management and worked as a community organizer. I've worked in philanthropy. So kind of seen like the different pieces of the social uh, change ecosystem. Um, and I also have my master's from USC in nonprofit management and public policy. So just like really like bringing all of that together um, to, to bear in um, creating a consulting firm um, that is, that was about providing um, high quality services around um maximizing impact and strategy for nonprofits that serve low-income communities of color and, and Muslims specifically also. And um, when I started that consulting firm, I ended up also with my business partner, we ended up advising on a lot of different film and television, including we were the lead consultants on Disney's Aladdin, which came out last year. Um, and so um, 
the way that my consulting practice works, which is the day-to-day is run by my business partner. Um, We advise on television and um, film projects, but then we use that to subsidize and provide really like high quality consulting to nonprofits at a reduced rate um, where we advise them on things like their mission, um, their strategic plan, their staffing, you know, all of those kind of pieces. Um, And and an example of like a client that we've worked with is... um, the Muslim Anti-Racism Collaborative. We help them put together their strategic plan and really think about structuring their board and um, fundraising, et cetera. So, yeah. That's amazing work. I mean, that's, um, Michelle, may I award you and, and the team, but whether it's the, the, the team with your consulting firm or uh, amazing work you're doing with Harness, that's, that's amazing things. What's, what's the, what is your biggest challenge nowadays? So that seems like there's a lot there. Uh, the nonprofit space is obviously a very difficult space at times. Um, you might feel overwhelmed doing a lot of things. Uh, what's the biggest challenges that you're, you're currently having? Either it's working with executives in Hollywood um, or kind of like the, the, the building, um, you know, kind of like working with organizations that are really trying to support underprivileged communities or, or serve different parts of our society that are, are underprivileged. Yeah, honestly, my biggest challenge is getting enough sleep. <laughs> I think that's right now is the challenge. <laughs> Like, you know, just grounding us in the historical moment, like we're going through a global pandemic as well as through um, kind of historic uprisings for racial justice in this country. And I think that uh, before that, my plate was full, but manageable. Um, Now I think it's just, uh, you know, uh, 2020 just feels like a constant state of emergency. And so um, we've been hiring and, and really staffing up as an organization, which is helpful. And I'm extremely organized um but at the same time um it's hard it is really hard um it feels like every week brings a new surprise so it sounds uh, like incredible work very fulfilling work um and and uh that that's tremendous um what is so tell us a little bit a lot of times we don't you know we see all these amazing accomplishments amazing degrees amazing education doing some amazing things working on some amazing projects uh, but how did Maria get here? How did, what was your journey? What's your story? Like, why are you doing all, all these things? How did you, how did you get to this point of, of doing all this amazing work? I mean, Allah, right? Like, really, like, that's the real answer. But I, um, I think that uh, it's, it's really strange, subhanAllah, because it wasn't planned. Um, so I, when I was growing up, I, Uh, My family has always been really connected to the Muslim community, and I come from a really large Muslim family. We're South Asian Indian, so, you know, we're very tight-knit, and um, I, so I I always, like, I grew up with their tradition of service, and, um, like, going to the masjid, and, like, really thinking about how to uh, give back to the community, Um, so I was active from a really young age, and um, I was also kind of like the 9-11 generation, so I was in um, high school when 9-11 happened, and so I think that I'd already been really active, you know, in my masjid, but at that, that was kind of a turning point in terms of, like, really shaping my, my identity, and helping me understand, um, the work that I do or the the power that I had, the agency that I had, I think that was a time where you could choose to be afraid or you could choose to really like lean in and step up to a challenge. And for me, I really felt like I needed to do something and say something. And so I became an activist and worked for many years as an activist within the Muslim community, um, both in Southern California and on a national level. And, um, you know, that, that organizing, or I would say activism, um, 
was, how long did I, was I doing that for? Um, I was doing that for, I'd say like 2002 until about 2015. So like a good long time. I worked with probably every Muslim organization in, in California, you know, at that time. Um, and just really um, cared about the Muslim community. So I was always, whether it was political organizing or whether it was like, we're really like focusing on how do you build institutions? Because I felt very strongly that building institutions was the way to like help our community grow and make progress. And um, so I knew when I was graduating undergrad, I did my undergrad in English and sociology. I was like, I really know that I want to study um, something that can help me when it comes to like building institutions. And so I, I got my master's in public administration from USC. Um, but I did that after spending a few years working because I really wanted to actually go out and like get experience. And so I did the community organizing and I did like different, uh, like a fellowship in public policy, et cetera, to just like really start to get myself um, the skill set that I felt like I needed. Um, and a lot of that was really challenging. It wasn't like I had any answers. And this is for like young people, especially who might have questions like, I don't think um, my path was linear. I think I just kept going to the next thing. Like, I'd be like, I have a question on this, or I really feel like I need to learn this, you know? And also just like praying over things and like making dot and like really asking Allah to like guide me, you know? And that got me to, um, you know, graduating from USC, working in a billion dollar foundation here in Los Angeles for their executive leadership team after I graduated from USC and being like, this isn't what I want to do. And I, um, I remember just like going into work every day and hating it and deciding um, my family is very entrepreneurial. That's kind of like our background. You're Palestinian, right, Rami? So like you guys might have that hustle a little bit too, the, <laughs> the entrepreneurial hustle. Yeah. And so my family was like, start your own business. And I was like, that's crazy. Why would I start my own business? And they were like, no, you got to do it. So I, I decided to start my own um, consulting firm. And um, that's where that initially started was I started doing consulting. And um, and then at the same time after the election, so I started my consulting firm just a little bit before the election. After the election, there was so much um, confusion in the country around like what needs to be done. And so um, that's when I was connected to America Ferreira and ended up helping her create the organization that I'm now the executive director of, which is Harness. So yeah, my life has changed pretty drastically in the last three years um, in response to the last presidential election. So I'm super excited to see what November brings us this time. <laughs> I'm being sarcastic here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, no, it's uh, it's fun. I mean, 2016 was a, it's a, it was a historic moment. It was a time I think everybody really reacted very strongly. Obviously, institutions, um, organizations, particularly they're, what they're looking at doing and kind of uh, particularly our community and the way our communities depicted what we're doing. Um, so that, that's, that's an amazing, it's just an amazing time. Something, you know, you know, uh, you know, destiny means you're, you're, you alive, you're alive during certain times for you to be able to you know, kind of step up to the plate and be able to do amazing things. So I think that's, that's an amazing lesson that I take from, from that journey. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I, um, I definitely think we're living through another moment like that now. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. 2020 is, uh, it's been a crazy year for sure. Um, so I, uh, let's, I want to kind of now kind of tap into some of your expertise because Michelle, I mean, that's, um, particularly, you know, I, I think a lot of times, you know, we 
as you mentioned, in terms of like organizational building, capacity building, uh, leadership building, right? A lot of times our community is really, they don't understand that scope. They don't understand how much needs to be there. Uh, and particularly as a, a, you know, as a woman, right? Being in those spaces, being in those, you know, being uh, in those positions of consulting or training or advising people, right? That's a, that's a tough space. Uh, so from your experience, what have been the biggest challenges in terms of uh, the Muslim nonprofit space, the, the community work, the, the capacity building in our, in our community? What, what have you seen there as the biggest challenges? Oh, there's so much. <laughs> and I say that as somebody that like loves our community and thinks there's been such tremendous growth and progress. And I'm so proud of some of the leaders that have come up and the people that are doing work. I really do have hope. I think there's a lot of really amazing work being done. Um, I was telling you before we like officially started this interview that um, I sat on the board for the last three years of MSA West, which is an umbrella organization for 30 plus um, chapters of Muslim student associations across the West Coast. And, you know, one of the amazing things that I, you know, will be grateful for probably for the rest of my life is actually being able to help that go from like a volunteer run collective to a, um, to like a nonprofit, like with legal status, helping establish all of its bylaws, helping it like all the kind of boring things that like really matter, you know, um, helping get like the first grant in the door, helping hire our first staff member, like really getting clear on strategy, like just all the things that it takes to like build a nonprofit. And so I feel very, um, I feel, I feel like, you know, I, I, I preface what I'm going to say next in terms of the challenges with like a reminder that like we have so much goodness and so many people doing important work and it's important to remember that, you know. Um, and at the same time, there's like a very real reason why I don't work within the Muslim nonprofit space. Um, I find it extremely challenging as a Muslim woman, I would say specifically, I think that it's uh, the 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 recognition of Muslim women as leaders is still very much lacking in a lot of the spaces that I've been in. Um, I think beyond that, though, I think there's a few different things I would say. The, the first one, I just, in order, there's a couple kind of buckets. I'd say the first one is around mission creep and like really, really getting clear on like who you are as an organization. I think that sometimes organizations feel like they have to stay relevant or they have to be involved with everything. And I think that that can be really challenging and um, actually really um, diffuse the efficacy of the organization. Um, I think getting really clear on your mission, which might require a pivot. I think that's fine. If you need to change to like the fact that we're in a global pandemic, like I get it, right? Like that's, that's different, but yeah, it's really about like, I need to send out a press release around every issue. I need to, you know, like, which I do see a lot of, I feel like our organizations are not clear enough on what it is yeah. that, yeah, I, I want to ask about this. We and we we you know Hamda, we we uh, we work with a lot of organizations, and a lot of them they 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 tend to have this issue. So there's it stems from two things, and I'd like to ask you about them. Uh, the first is if they're not a specialty organization. So I think if you're a if you're an MSA or if you're a relief organization or if you're a social justice, I mean, you might have like a clear path when it comes to mission, vision, purpose. But when you're a community center. Or if you're, um, you know, let's just say your your traditional masjid slash community center, do you believe that they should have missions and visions as well? What should they be involved in? When shouldn't they know how to say no to something? How would you advise or consult them on that? 
I think that um, one of the smartest things I've seen people do is create a, um, I'm forgetting the term for it, which is frustrating me, but it's almost like a screen of like, these are our values. This is like what we have committed to doing. And then we check everything against that. Do you know what I mean? I, I think that that type of strategic thinking can really help you get aligned. Um, I also think like the most basic question that a lot of nonprofits don't ask is, who am I serving? And getting specific about that. Um, I think that, you know, if you ask people questions like that, they'll say, Muslims. What Muslims? All Muslims. Okay, the global ummah of like a billion plus people. Yes, you know what I mean? And it's like, okay, like, but if you, if you're, if you think about it from a business perspective, because I also studied social entrepreneurship, like you need to know your consumer. You need to know your constituent. If you're a politician, like you really need to understand who it is that you're speaking to. So I think like starting with like audience and then saying, what are the needs of my audience? What can I uniquely provide them with? And then how do I do that? Right. And then how do I have a feedback loop to figure out, does this working? How do I optimize it? How do I pivot, et cetera? I think, and, and then how is it sustainable? Like, where's my revenue coming from? I think those are important. And, and when I talk about audience, like one of the questions, one of the conversations I've had with um, Muslim nonprofits is like, how much do you even know about the people that use your services? Like, do you know where they're located? Do you know what their struggles in life are? Like, do you know what they consider the most valuable thing is that you do? Uh, the more you can learn about those that you serve, I think the more effective you're going to be as an organization. So. Uh, yeah, no, I, I absolutely love that. And I think a lot of the times, you know, whether it's a community center or a youth organization and I must say, right? It's usually like a small group of people in a meeting somewhere in the, in the building. They think they know all the answers. They roll out these plans or they roll out these initiatives and projects and they really are not getting a grasp. They don't have a pulse on the people that they're serving. So I, I, I really love that. And I think that's super important for, for people to know. Um, is, there, is there something that you've seen that really works effectively in doing that? Is it just like surveying them, canvassing them, what is the most effective way to serve your audience from a nonprofit perspective? I think that one of the things that I've started to see, which I'm really, really excited about is um, data and research becoming more normal. Um, I, I see that with two organizations, specifically ISPU and Yahin Institute. I think both of them are like trying to really get to like, who are Muslims? What do they care about? How many Muslims are there? Which is like the ongoing question, <laughs> you know, in the US, I mean. Um, and I think that like, uh, the, this is really important to me because I think that uh, surveys can be really helpful, but ultimately I'm a believer in grounding your decision-making in data and information. I'm not like a, you know, PhD where I'm like, everything has to be, you know, uh, blind tested and all this stuff. But I do think like, for example, like just understanding like, okay, if I'm a community center and I'm based in New Jersey and I serve this neighborhood, I'm, how many Muslims are in this area, you know? And like, what's their demographic breakdown? Like, are they, what countries are they from? What languages do they speak? You know, um, what are they struggling with? Like, is housing an issue? Is, you know, like just that, like those kind of like basic things that are so important. I, um, I really struggle because a lot of the Muslim leaders that I know who serve regional areas actually really have huge blind spots in terms of like how they understand their Muslim community. So, you know, I, I remember having a conversation with a Muslim leader who's one of the smartest 
like Muslim leaders I know in the area. And I said to this leader, I said, uh, you know, we were in the suburbs and I work in the city. And, and he was like, oh, yeah, no, all the Muslims are concentrated in the suburbs. And I said, how many, how many people do you think are in the suburbs? And he was like, oh, you know, I don't know. And I was like, okay, well, it's this many. I was like, how many people are in this city? And he was like, I don't know. I was like, okay, 10 million. It's like a one to 10 ratio. You know what I mean? If the suburbs have at most 1 million people and the city has 10 million people. I was like, we're in the second largest city in the country. There are more Muslims in the city. <laughs> there's just no way that there's not, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, from a statistical standpoint, not, uh, and, and when I've done some census demographic breakdowns, I've seen like huge populations of Muslims that are just literally not served because people don't even know that they exist. A lot of like low income immigrant communities that like just have no services, you know? And a lot of those people are like losing their faith there because it, they're just, it's so hard when you first come to the country, you know, and there's huge populations. And I think that, um, there's a lot of myths that we tell ourselves about our community in terms of like who we are. Um, you know, we're like the model minority almost, you know, like we're, we're upper middle class or middle class and we're working hard and all this stuff. And, and in actuality, I think like we have many, um, working class Muslims who are struggling with like the challenges of what it means in this country to survive. And, um, and I think that, um, Anyway, I'm, I'm prolonging that, but I do, I, this is like a big piece of it for me. Yeah, I, I love that. I, I think that that's, I mean, from what I have seen in my limited capacity as well, uh, the research is just not valued enough, right? We just, we don't value, um, you know, our socioeconomic status of our, you know, people that congregate in our communities or uh, even our staff, like even staff members or people that are volunteers. And there's just not enough, there's just not enough data in our community. Uh, I think a lot of times there's a, maybe there's an ignorance element to it. They just, people don't know that they should be collecting this. And I think a lot of times some of the organizations that I've seen, maybe, maybe you could talk about this as well. They don't know what to do with all the data, right? So they get all the data, but then, okay, what does that actually mean to me? Um, how would you just kind of quickly summarize how, what should they do with data? Should they bring another, con should they be consultants in? Should they, you know, I, I don't know if we value that. Like how, how would you have, if somebody does have good data, how do they know what to do with that? If you will speak to that a little bit. So I'll give an example of what we did at MSA West, right? When we had a hypothesis that some, that Muslim students, um, and already we're talking about college students who are already privileged because they're in college, right? Which is like, you're already self-selecting in a specific way. Then you're talking about Muslim students who have chosen to be part of an MSA. So you're already self-selecting further, right? So this is not all Muslim young people. But what we said was we wanted to like, we wanted to get data. We had some serious concerns around suicide rates. We had some serious concerns around sexual assault. We had some serious concerns around losing identity and faith. And we, we felt like those were real issues. But we wanted, and like gender parity was like a huge thing. And so we wanted to do some data, but we're not experts. So we reached out to ISPU and we contracted them. Uh, they gave us so much more than we paid them for, I will say. I have so much gratitude to Dalai Mujahid and to the team over there. Um, but we partnered with them and we did a research study. And we interviewed, I want to say, a thousand 
over a thousand Muslim students over a weekend at our annual conference. Um, so it was a, you know, it wasn't a like randomized test. It was definitely like a, um, but the idea behind that was we wanted to at least start with getting the information and building our, our database and, and working on that. And we released a report. So ISPU helped us crunch the numbers and like really understand the data. And then we co-authored a report that was published, which we then took to funders, et cetera. But it was so helpful. And we did a huge um, meeting um, in Southern California and we like flew out like community leaders from Northern California and from other parts of the country. And we did a big presentation explaining like exactly what the findings of the report were and did working groups where people could actually take the data and talk about like, okay, if this is a finding that we have, like what's, what are some solutions that, that can come out of this, you know? But one of the things we saw, and I really think this is an issue, at least from my community, and I don't want to you know, extrapolate to other communities was people who refused to believe the information. I, I think that there is a um, real desire within our community, depending on who the person is, of like wanting to believe these myths that make us feel better about ourselves. You know, I remember there was like one of the clear, I mean, the suicide stuff was really scary, but one of the clear takeaways was around the, um, increasing number of young women who did not feel welcome in Masajid and who were really struggling with their religious identity. And there were so many men in the room who just refused to believe it. They just were like, no, that's not real. And it was like, okay, so, you know, like, I, I don't know what to tell you. I have Dalai Mujahid who like was literally an advisor to Obama, like talking you through this research. If you're not going to listen to this, I don't know what to tell you, you know? So I feel like um, from a data perspective, I, I think that I hear the like, point of like, oh, you know, people don't know what to do when they come in. And I think partnering with an organization who can help you do that, whether it's like a local university or, or like a community-based researcher, um, it could be an individual, it could be a, an organization. I think that can be really helpful. I don't think people should do that really on their own. It's hard. Um, but you also have to be willing to listen to like what comes back. And I think that, mm. that was the biggest challenge we had was like, people refused to believe what came back. Yeah, that that's that's um, that's sad, uh, but but real. I, I think um, that's the that's that's a, 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 an interesting case, and I and and I appreciate you sharing that. I, I think a lot of times, yeah, are you ready to see the cold hard facts? Like, are you are you mentally, emotionally ready for that? And to and then to do something about it, right? Okay, that it should just mean that hey, this is where we need to focus. We need to shift our organizational practices. We need to shift our culture. You just got to be be very very conscious of that. Um, so I, I really appreciate you sharing that. Uh, I, I know the second thing that you wanted to talk to was around then the human resource element that nonprofits have or don't have or lack of investing in. Um, can you speak a little bit to how this all ties with the the people that you have in the in the door and how much you're invested in them and um, preparing them, training them, helping them? Yeah, I think that, um, yeah, it, the way in which, um, I'm just like thinking about this because it's such a hard, so in, in corporate America and in my master's program, one of the like basic tenants of running a good company or a good nonprofit is that is a talent that you attract. It's, it's just the reality there. One person could do a certain amount of work and another person could do 10 times that amount. It's like, we all have different strengths and 
figuring out what people's strengths are, which I know this is like what Dr. Bassi does. And, you know, you all, I'm sure like do this all the time, but like figuring out what a person's unique strengths are and putting them in the right position is such a huge thing. And that will make or break an organization. In my opinion, I think staff is like the thing that makes an organization go. And I think there's a few things that I find really challenging really challenging within the Muslim community. And I've been very vocal about it. And, you know, we'll see like if, if changes happen, but the first is investing in infrastructure over people. So we, we will invest in a building before we will invest in staff, um, which is just so challenging to me because I can't tell you the number of buildings I know that are empty most of the time because there's no staff, right? Multi-million dollar buildings that are built, right? And there's no staff. And you're, and what we're dealing with right now is a talent drain. The most intelligent, the most hardworking, the most kind of, you know, the smartest Muslim young people that are graduating are not working for the Muslim community right now because there's no place for them to go. Like they're not respected. They're not treated well. They're paid a fraction of what they could get paid somewhere else, you know? And so you're seeing a talent drain. And that's, that is extremely bad for our community. Like I can't even speak to like the long-term ramifications of that. Like it's, it's going to, it's going to be devastating, you know? Um, so that's one piece of it. I think the other piece of it is, um, uh, around equity and just like, like paying people. Like one of the things that I, uh, I really struggle with is high turnover rates. A high, a high turnover rate will ruin your organization over the long term because you are not building long-term memory, institutional memory. You're not letting somebody build over time and really bring your organization to the next level. What you're dealing with is just like a cog in the machine and you're having to restart again every year or two. And that's crazy. That's not going to help you move as an organization. And a lot of times that high turnover rate has to do with not paying people livable wages or wages where they can like comfortably live with their family. I think, and that's, that's really unfortunate to me. Again, like you're going to have somebody working. I, I know of like plenty of messages like this and I think nonprofits too, but definitely messages like this where they are serving in a, building that spent over a million dollars to build, but they don't even have health insurance. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, really? Like that's what, it, what is so wrong in our priorities in terms of the way that we've, uh, we've figured that out. You think about the Prophet he invested in people, you know, he did not invest in like a beautiful building. He invested in his, in his Sahaba. We are not doing that as a community. We're not, uh, not in a lot, not in a large scale way. Individuals are specific institutions are, but not in a large scale way. In a large scale way, we are still really very much investing in kind of uh, flashy events in like buildings, not in like investing in like people in the long term game, basically of like really trying to make a difference. Um, I also think when we talk about equity, we talk about we have to talk about like the way race and gender and socioeconomic status play. I, I don't think people are fair. Um, when they, when they talk about these things, I think there's a lot of differences with how we pay people based on if it's a man or a woman, um, based on racial background. We, it's not something we like talking about, but that's a very real thing. And also based on socioeconomic status. I mean, I think uh, it's very, uh, we don't talk enough about kind of the realities of the economic realities that a lot of Muslims face. Um, and so to me, when you're not investing in good people, if your kids are not supported later, like that's, it, that is just 
like the what is the saying like the the cows coming home or like the crows coming home but whatever Teresa it's like you are dealing with like the repercussions 10 years later and so if you make the wrong decisions now 10 years down the line you'll see you'll see the ramifications in your personal life you know what I mean it, it'll happen it's just that um you're we're not long-sighted enough we're, we're not, we don't have the foresight to understand that so yeah, I, I, I agree with you 100%. I, I want to wanna ask a follow-up question on that. I think they tie into each other, obviously, the people that you have, uh, the investment in them, and then obviously how you invest uh, from an equity perspective, right? So they're very, they go very much hand in hand. Um, what is it, uh, so what should uh, a nonprofit leader, if they're a board member, if they're uh, whatever they might be, whatever capacity, maybe they're an executive director, uh, what should they be keen on? What should they be focused on in terms of first attracting good talent, as you mentioned? Uh, second, so if it's like we want to hire a staff or a youth director or an executive director, what? How do we make sure to do that the best way? And then second, how do we make sure we do that in an equitable way, meaning that they're they're paid the. Uh, so first of all, there's no bias in in that. Maybe and maybe maybe you want to talk to that a little bit. How does inequity show up? Uh, when it comes to bringing people in, paying them, how, can you speak to that a little bit? I know that you you do a lot of work around that, I'm sure. So, yeah, there's I mean, there's so many ways, but I, I would say nepotism is like the biggest one. It's like, let me hire my family member. Let me hire my friend. You know, like that's it's just yeah, it doesn't work. <laughs> it just doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, it, but in the long term, it's not what's best for your organization. Um, I think there's a few things you can do. You should have a job description with very clear kind of like, this is a description of like what we are looking for. This is the salary range potentially, if you feel comfortable doing that. This is the like requirements that we have around like skill sets and being very clear with yourself about that. You know what I mean? As an organization, when I say I want an executive director, like what does that actually mean? And sometimes people are crazy and that their expectation of like an executive director and a mom, I see this a lot, is is five positions. It's not one position, you know what I mean? Which is like, you have to be realistic also about like, what are you looking for? And like being really clear and concise and saying like, is this actually realistic? Um, I also think that like expecting people to work beyond their hours and volunteer their time is a really unfortunate thing like doing it for the sake of a lot like great if your staff off their own accord decide that they want to do that that's amazing having that as an expectation which a lot of people do is is actually unjust like that is actually unjust you are not paying people for the time that you are expecting out of them that's just the reality of it so i i would rather from an from a just perspective you know um that we are actually putting together job descriptions that are realistic, right, and, and are clear. And then we have an unbiased hiring process. So we're making sure that we're doing searches, we're, we're looking at different places, we're not just sending it to our friends and family, right? Um, and then the interview process, there's like criteria that people are using, trying to make sure that it's a standardized process. So it's not just like, oh, I really like that person because he's from the same country I'm from, you know, and he was, he made a joke that I like really related to, but like, no, like, I, I was able to see we were looking for, you know, cultural competency. And is he going to be able to relate to, to our community? And he was able to demonstrate that he can, like, that's a very different thing. Like, oh, I connected with you personally versus this is a skill set that I need, right? Or this is like a quality that we need. And so, um, so having like a fair and equitable hiring process, um, making sure to, if as much as possible, integrate 
people into your hiring process that are diverse um, in, in both philosophy and background so that you're able to have a diverse like perspective in the hiring. So it's not just you and your friends who are all like, yes, we all want, we all know we want the same thing. It's like, no, let me bring this other person who's really smart, who I don't agree with a lot to come into this process because maybe like in that tension, we'll actually both make ourselves better and, and come to something much better in the long term. Uh, conflict is something that I think we don't know how to deal with as a community, that's for sure. But that's also just a human being thing. <laughs> so, you know. Yes. Um, yeah. And so I think, you know, hiring is important. I also think like salary is real. I think like you, you are not going to be, and this is as somebody who like legitimately didn't care about salary for probably the first 10 years of my like professional career. Right. Um, but like when I know that I can make double my salary, triple my salary by working outside the Muslim community and I have parents that are sick or I have kids or I have you know what I mean like yes like we will sacrifice to a certain extent but at some point if you don't feel respected if you don't feel seen I was advising with a project recently where the imam was struggling so much financially but was not able to express it right because he's the imam so he's like not gonna say it you know and in our conversations with the board we were sitting with the board and going through the finances and I was like these finances make no sense to me. I was literally like, how are these the finances? And I was like, how are you paying the imam this much right now? Like, this is nothing. And the imam literally started crying and walked out of the room. Like, that's, that's the type of thing where, like, we don't respect our staff. You know what I mean? We don't, we don't think about them as human beings with families. And um, I was just, I'm just, sorry, I was taken back there for a second. It was such a horrible experience because you just, you know, and the board was negligent. They did, it was not malintentioned. And these were very smart people. They just were negligent. They weren't thinking about equity and they weren't thinking about their staff. And I was like, the number one thing as a nonprofit executive director, I know is like, my organization is built on the talent that I bring to the table. The, the people are what make or break an organization, in my opinion. Obviously, Baraka and blessing of Allah, but I also think that comes from, like, the, the type of people you have working for you. So, anyway. Mm, no, no, that, I mean, that's a, and I appreciate you sharing that story. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's the real stories that are going on every day in our community, right? Across countries, across, across the country, across communities. What is it, what is it that's, um, boards like that or leadership in general, what is the gap between the better organizational practices and where we're at now? Like what is, how are we, how do we need to bridge that gap overall um, from your experience? And I know you've, you've worked with high-end executives and you work with big companies and how, what's the difference between their, their perspective on addressing those gaps? And I, I'm sure all, all organizations have these, um, um, these areas of deficiency, but how do you, how do you resolve it as an organization or as leadership? Yeah. I, I read something recently that I thought was really powerful. Um, this, this leader was saying like, the thing I look for in staff is curiosity. And I, and, and I'm also of the opinion, some people say, um, which I kind of agree with, but it's, it's, it's hard because you have technical jobs and you have like more generalist jobs, but they, they say you find the right people, you hire them, and, and they'll, they'll be able to do the job that you put them in, right? Which I do think like when you get like high quality folks, those folks, you can put them in a lot of positions and they'll, they'll excel because they really know how to do things, right? Um, but I will say that uh, curiosity, wanting to learn, wanting to get better is the first thing. 
that if I think if you have that and you have humility, I think you'll be fine. I think you'll figure it out. You know what I mean? Because then inshallah, Allah will send you the right resources. You'll be able to study. You'll be able to learn. You'll get the, you'll do the research. Like you'll figure it out. It's that all the information is there. Like it's, it's all available, right? The nonprofit management center.com. Like there's a whole like industry that is literally just around nonprofit management. There's books you can read. There's like articles. There's things you can watch. There's courses you can take. There's so much information. What I see is that people don't care. And people think that they know what's best. And people look at the Sira and they're like, all right, this is how we're supposed to do things, right? Like, this is what it means to have Shura. This is, and they don't study and they don't, they don't even understand and recognize, even when you tell them that there's an entire science that has been developed around this work. Um, and if you, if you're not willing to, to do that, then, you know, we have a lot of people running our nonprofits who are not actually have the like training and the like education and that's okay. But if, if you're humble and you're curious, you can get there. But if you're not, if you're stubborn and if you're like, this is not as complicated as you're making it, then, you know, you're, you're going to be stagnant as an organization. Um, I mean, I, 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 I echo your sentiments a hundred percent. I definitely agree with you. I, I think the cure, I like the way you put it, the curiosity element, the, the want to learn. And, and, and like you mentioned, a lot of them are very smart. They're, sometimes they're surgeons, they're very successful entrepreneurs. Um, like, you know, our, our community really get the gamut of everybody. But there's, there's this gap in terms of wanting to, to make those improvements and, and committing to them. I think there's also a commitment uh, issue with that. But, but uh, I, I appreciate uh, those sentiments. I, as we kind of wrap up and uh, pull things together and, um, you know, kind of, you know, I, I like to ask this question at the end. So what is it? So if you had like a magic power or if you um, shouldn't say magic, we'll cut the magic out. If you had a superpower uh, that you can use or uh, something that you can give to every Muslim, not Muslim leader, these organizations, national organizations, local organizations, what would be that superpower that you give them that you think would, would solve all, all the problems that we have? Not all, but you know, kind of the, the most important challenging ones that we have? You know, I don't know if it's a superpower, but there is something that I feel has been really helpful for me. And it's something I've tried to do with other Muslim leaders is looking at the best in class for the type of thing that you're trying to do. And if you're an imam or like a, you run a Muslim center, that might be a church or a synagogue. You know what I mean? Really, that's probably mm. the church or a synagogue, actually. Mm. Oh, what do you mean by best thing? Can you can you explain that a little bit? I I I've, I like that term. I've never heard it like that. What what do you mean by that? I mean it in the sense that, and I'm thinking of a very specific example. I was I was talking with an executive director of a really large Muslim advocacy organization, and I pointed. We were in the building of another really large advocacy organization, multi million dollar, also serves a specific population. And I said, I want you guys to get here. And his response was like, kind of like, no, that's impossible. And no, like, you know, it was just kind of like a limitation in imagination and also like not understanding that like, it's actually totally possible as a Muslim community to be at that level. It's that you don't know, like all the things, like you don't understand how to run an organization basically. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like you do, you know how to run like a, you know how to run like an organization in the Muslim community as it stands now, but you don't know how to build a nonprofit that's going to last for decades. You know what I mean? Mm. Which is a different thing. And I think that, um, 
I think that the way that I think about that is, is uh, if we were to just look around us and say, what can I learn from the people that are already doing it? Like, it's not uh, any problem that you deal with. Like, most of them have already been dealt with before, you know, like in organizations, like this is ultimately the root of this is like human beings figuring out how to like handle things together. That's like what it is. You know, we've yeah. been, been around yeah. for a bit. We kind of know how to do that. Um, and so if we were to look at examples of like, okay, if I run a, this type of a nonprofit, like, let me actually go and like take a tour of like the multi-million dollar church down the road and like interview them and say like, how do you do your programming? How do you look at your fundraising? How do you do your communications? How do you, do you know what I mean? Like, can I understand your budget? Like they might not, I don't know. You know what I mean? But like learning, learning, that's where the humility and the curiosity piece comes in. Like, like really trying to um, look at the examples and they're often in your community can be so helpful, I think, in, in like solving a lot of these issues. And, uh, and I, imagination to like what's actually yeah. Yeah, sorry to cut you off. Yes, absolutely. You're, I, I think that that's the raising your standards, right? It's really about raising standards. It's really about seeing somebody operating at a different level and, and really knowing that I should, I should get there. That, that's where we should be at. And I love that. And I think, again, like you mentioned, a lot of those resources, it's the, it's the church down the block. It's the, you know, relief organization that's, you know, right there next to you. I'll, yeah, a lot of times, we don't realize uh, the, the amazing work that's going on around us. I 100% uh, agree with that. And I really appreciate that. Um, how can people connect to you? So I, I know, Michelle, we have um, a lot of our listeners. They, they're all community leaders are everywhere. Uh, tell us a little bit about how, how we can connect to you, anything that people should know about uh, when it comes to, and when it comes to Maria. Yeah, well, thank you so much. Like if people are looking for specific services, um, we only take on a few nonprofit clients every year because we are, we try to provide like really high quality services. Um, and usually that means like a longer contract because we're really helping an organization think through some like, like it's usually in a inflection point. It's at a moment where it's growing or it really needs to pivot or something like that um, is how it's historically been for us. And so um, if you're interested in learning more about our services, you can go to our company website, which is Sila. Sila comes from the word Silat in the Quran, which is connection. And the idea is like we connect people with ideas, resources, and information and training and all that stuff. Um, so it's S-I-L-A consulting dot co not dot com dot co so s-i-l-a-c-o-n-s-u-l-t-i-n-g dot co and um you know people can follow me on social media i'm not one of those people that is like super for <laughs> external facing about like all the work i do but if people are interested um i do post a lot about kind of like campaigns or stuff from from my harness hat and so um that's just my first and last name on on all the social media channels maria bongi so yeah but i'm i you know it's it the i went to graduate school to get a degree in nonprofit management it's something i truly believe in it's so important um and i believe like what we need is a generation of community builders. I think we had that in our, um, the generation before us. And I think our generation needs to pick up the baton and I also think the generation before us needs to make a little bit of space for that. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I agree with you hundred percent. And Michelle, may Allah 
uh, bless the amazing work you're doing. Continue to uh, to give you the strength and the ability and insight and wisdom to to keep pushing forward, uh, to keep giving that guidance to the leadership of our community, and and really to hopefully, and I, I uh, we we can amplify your name a little bit. I, I think uh, I know you've been doing great work for a long time. I, I hope until Tyler that we can uh, continue to do that. I, I wish our community uh, can use resources like you a lot more as well. Barakallahu um, I really appreciate the time, Zakwahir, for for all the information, tremendous insights, and uh, and all the amazing advice. Barakallahu no, of course, and Shlakalafed, and for inviting me, and I'm I'm really appreciative of the work that you all do. So please, uh, you know, keep at it, and we need more of it. Inshallah. I appreciate that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Oak Tree Institute podcast. Please make sure to subscribe to be notified of our new episodes each week. And please leave us a rating. We would like to invite you to join our Facebook group we have called Servant Leaders. This group is exclusively for nonprofit leaders and organizers like yourself. And it's a growing community where we post helpful articles, videos, strategies, and tips that can take you and your organization to the next level. Check the show notes below for the link and join us today. Also, if you benefited from this episode, do us a favor. Take a screenshot and post it on your social media channels and tag Oak Tree Institute. We thank you for listening and we hope that you'll listen to our next episode.